listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. The ushers are coming forward with Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible this morning, we would love for you to just raise your hand. We're going to be looking at some, some pretty key passages in the Word of God here this morning, and so have your Bibles open. We're going to look, first of all, at Ephesians 3, and then uh, a little later on at Matthew 16, and then a host of other verses here this morning, and, and encourage you to take one of those Bibles. If you don't have one of those Bibles, uh, don't have a Bible at home with you, please take it as our gift to you, and uh, we, we love God's Word and we value it and, and so encourage you to follow along and, and to take notes of, of what we're going to be talking about and the references we'll be looking at here this morning as well. Years ago, when Charlotte and I first began in ministry in Saskatoon, I was a youth pastor, and, and uh, in that church in Saskatoon, we had this very godly and very lovely senior couple in the church by the name of Frank and Edith. Everyone in the church knew Frank and Edith. They were a very loving, very comical couple who had a handicapped son who they cared for right until they went into the nursing home themselves, where he was in a, a, a uh, wheelchair, and they cared for him and drove him around, and, and Frank Frank and Edith were quite the couple. Uh, Frank, towards the end of his life, uh, developed some serious heart um, conditions and, and had a series of, of heart issues, including, I think, uh, two heart attacks, and, and, and yet always remained so positive and upbeat, he wouldn't let go of the sunflower seeds that he would eat continually when he would drive. He had one of those Ford Econoline vans and would just spit the seeds out on the ground uh, of, of the vehicle, and so when he would open it up, you'd literally, there would be a whole bunch of sunflower seeds on the ground. That was his way of getting rid of them, and, and just a, a wonderful couple, and, and with the heart conditions and different things, there was this new way of prescribing drugs, drugs that was coming out on the scene, and it was the patch. Um, Twenty-some years ago, this was a fairly new thing, and so, so the doctor prescribed to, to Frank this, this patch that would help with his heart condition. And uh, a few weeks later, he, he, he went to go see the doctor, and the doctor said, how's it going with that patch? He says, doctor, I've never felt better. I feel 100%. I feel so good, even though he looked terrible. He's like, I feel good. I'm, it's working like a charm. He said, the only problem with it is it doesn't stick very well. And, and the doctor said, really? Well, that, doesn't, that shouldn't be a problem. And, and he said, can you just demonstrate for me? He says, in fact, I use a Band-Aid or I use some tape to kind of to hold it in place on my arm because it, it just isn't staying. And so the doctor said, can you just show me how you put on the patch each time? And he said, sure, I'll show you how to do it. And so he went and he did it and he took and, and he peeled off that little plastic cover. He threw the patch out on the ground and put the plastic cover on his arm and was using that and was, I mean, was feeling so much better as a result of it. Here he had the right thing, but he was using it in the wrong way, resulting in missing out on the true benefits of which it was made and prescribed for him for. And it's kind of this comical story. We probably, there's probably a number of times in the course of the year we, we, we tell that story and we just giggle at good old Frank and how he just felt 100% even though it was doing nothing for him. You know what, the same can happen so often in, when it comes to our spiritual lives and even when it comes to what we are talking about here today. When it comes to church, when it comes to this gather time, this gathering on a Sunday morning or, or our, our, our commitment, our involvement in the local church, God has done something amazing amazing. He has prepared something and has, has built and is building something, and yet so oftentimes we can easily miss the benefits of what 
The purposes and the priorities of God are for us and for the church. And one of the things we talk about here at Harvest Cologne is the 5G life. And, and, and we move the banners over here so you could see a little bit that as a follower of Christ, the disciple of Christ is someone who abides in a relationship with Christ. If we're not connected to him, we don't have life. If we're not connected to him, there's no real, true spiritual fruit in our lives. Nothing will result in our lives of an eternal, of a godly, of, uh, of a, of a Christ-honoring uh, commitment or life without abiding in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are people who connect with one another, that we don't live solo. We need one another in our lives, and so we connect in large groups, we connect in small groups. Then we also share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. We share freely what God has given to us, and so it's made of these three relationships, and then we kind of carve it down to the 5G life when it comes to these 5Gs that we are desiring to, to get after as a church. And we talk about this from time to time on a Sunday morning. It's in our Harvest Essentials class that will be taking place in a number of weeks. It's on our website. There's messages you can listen to, and there's, there's different other downloadables that you can take a look at and, and get a further understanding of this. And, and, and we value so much that God time daily, an intentional, intentional pursuit of God daily, that we need to abide with with Christ in a relationship through taking that time daily to spend time in God's word, in, in, in scripture memorization, in worship, in prayer, in solitude before God. But then we also talk about gather time, what we're doing here this morning and what we're going to talk about in a few moments. And then group time where, where we consistently grow together in accountability, in a community of believers in God's word. And small groups start up again this week. If you're not part of a small group, I encourage you to be a part of one. Just fill it out or, or go online or talk to one of the small group leaders and, and, and we'll uh, end up letting you, uh, be, we'll be able to find out uh, what small group uh, has room for you to be a part of. And, and, and so we have group time and then give time and resolve to steward what God has given to us, whether it's our time, our treasures, our talents, to use it for the glory of God. And then also our go time, now, the time spent seeing the gospel spread locally and globally and, and seeing this as, as a reality in our lives. And we show it to you in different ways and different graphics and it's not about the graphics it's about the truth of that. And the one that we want to zero in this morning is on, on the 1G that we want to take a look at is, is the gather time. And this is one that is under great attack today, it seems, in society, within the church, within theologians and authors and bloggers and, and people who have an opinion. And, and this is something that God has given to us, has given to his people. He's given us the church for great blessing and great benefit to him and as well as to us. Us. We're not gathering here just for our sake, just to make ourselves feel good or to learn. We're gathering here for the sake of God, and we have to understand what his privileges, what his priorities, what his purposes are in the church. And yet, if we gather in the wrong way and for the wrong purposes, what we're actually doing here can have a negative and defeating effect in our lives and sadly even in society. How many people will you run into in the course of this next week that say, I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites? I don't go to church because in, in all these different reasons. And when we are not on, on God's plan and God's agenda when it comes to the church, it is a recipe for disaster and for God's word not spreading, but in, in fact God's word retreating in the lives of people even out there in, in our world. And so today, uh, we see there's so many people who, who downplay the importance and the value of God's word. Essentially, they're like kicking, or not of God's word, but of, of God's word when it comes to the gather time. In effect, they're kind of, effect, kind of kicking church, so to speak, to the curb. And what we're talking about here this morning is the weekly gather time. 
about the need for you and I to be deeply connected and committed to the local church. Rarely, sadly, does one week go by, and I think this week there was at least two conversations that I was a part of that I heard, where I hear story after story where people will say to me, I love God, I love Jesus, I have a strong faith, I just don't need church. I just don't want to have anything to do with the church. More and more people are saying, I'm done with church. I'm not done with God. I'm not done with, 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 with having a relationship with him. I'm just done with organized church. And often and unbelievably, I hear this. You know how, who, whose lips I hear it out of in just a very consistent way? People who have been pastors on church staffs, served as elders, Leaders, key volunteers, key leadership positions, faithful servants. I hear this out of their mouths on a regular basis. And sadly, it is a result of bad experiences, church politics, burnout, distraction, busyness, the supremacy of sports and leisure, laziness, Wrong priorities, all kinds of different reasons. And ultimately, because the church, and especially here in North America, we've drifted so far away from the biblical mandate and purpose of the church. And when we do that, the power of the church diminishes and becomes basically null and void. It becomes just a routine in our lives. And all of us here today, if we were to take time in our little groups that we prayed in a few moments ago, if we were to take time and talk about the different experiences that we've had in church, some of, them, some of us have had amazing experiences in church. But also, oftentimes, even within that same church, we've had hardships and difficulties and painful experiences. And some of those experiences can cause us to leave a church or to be asked to, to leave a church. And wherever you go, you're going to find this kind of friction. You're going to find these kind of things. Why? <laughs> because you are a part of the church. You're to blame. And so am I. And we need to get on with God's priorities and God's values. I, I think of a guy who was deserted on a, on, a, on a deserted island. He was shipwrecked and he was alone and he was there for many years. And one day the rescuers came and they, they took a look at how he had kind of set things up for him on that deserted island, being all alone for a good number of years. And he had a hut that he says, this is my house. And then he says, and, and this building here, this is my church. This is where I would go and worship God. And they said, well, what is that third building? And he says, that's the church I used to go to. You know, and, 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 and it's just kind of a true thing that that, that sort of thing happens. And, and um and we bring our mess and we bring our agendas and we bring our purposes into the life of the church and into our ministries. And we don't listen and we don't pay attention to what God's would be for us. And so we've all had these different exposures and these experiences and have helped us and hindered us. And, and the reason why we are here today is because many of those experiences have helped us because people have discipled, because people have taken the time to build into our lives, to teach us, to sacrifice, to serve. For decades and decades and decades brings us to this point here. And we are so blessed. But here are some of the experiences that you and I can easily have and have, have experienced in the life of the church. There's boring or irrelevant church where there's a great focus on information or perhaps tradition, but it's very little bit about application, about life transformation. 
There's market-driven church where it, it, there's, um, you do whatever it takes to draw a crowd because after all, it's easy to start to believe that big numbers mean that it's supported by God. That's a lie. That's not true. If we wanted to simply put butts in the seats, we could easily fill all five theaters here on a Sunday morning by drawing a crowd. We don't want to draw a crowd. We want to build disciples. We want to make disciples. We want to plant churches. We want to see lives changed. There's signs and wonder church where people try, where man, where man and women try to manufacture the work of God and goes in some unbiblical ways. There's harsh or legalistic church. Many rules, heavy pressure to conform to certain lifestyle and practices and, 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 and to live this out well, at least on Sundays you live it out anyways. Or there's man-centered church where catering to my needs and my wants and my comforts, it's kind of like we can choose churches like, we, cruise, like we, we choose a cruise ship line or a destination resort. Well, what amenities does it have? How many restaurants? What kind of pools does it have? What kind of you know, massage places will it have and, and, and workout areas and what kind of beachfront? And, 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 and we can choose churches very much on the feel-good, cater-to-me so that I can accomplish all of my hopes and my dreams and everything will come true. Or there's personality-driven churches. Churches that are built around the personality of a gifted pastor or a worship leader or a band. And, and, and this happens time and time again. You see churches rise up into great prominence because of the great preaching or the great speaking, the great influence, the great worship or, or whatever it might be. And what ends up happening, you give it time. When a church is built on that, it will fall one day like a house of cards. And we've seen that happen over the course of this past, past year in 2018. We'll see it again in 2019. And sadly, these kind of experiences with church that we can have can lead us to disillusionment, to burnout, to hurt, to politics, to infighting. And so who needs the church, we end up saying. This leads to people who say, I'm going to take a little break from church for a while. And sadly, probably nine times out of ten who, of people who say that I'm going to take a little break from church, it ends up being that they are now done with church and they don't return. People who say, I have a group of friends, I have a group, then we meet together in a restaurant, in a, li in a living room, in a bar, in a gym, we go on hikes, we're in nature together, that's my church. The only problem with that kind of thinking, and it sounds good, the only problem with that kind of thinking, folks, is the Word of God. It's what the Word of God has to say and how the Word of God defines the church. The Word of God tells us what church looks like and doesn't have to meet in a building. Instead, it can meet in a movie theater. It can meet in a bar. And, and some of our harvest churches throughout the world have been started Sunday mornings in the bars of churches, not in the bars of churches, that would, ooh, that would be interesting, but in, in certain bars and uh, nightclubs, and they've got to clean up all the mess that happened from the night before, and the smell is pretty strong. There's one of our pastors who just recently said they walk in and they don't know what they're going to find on a Sunday morning when they walk in there for church. We can meet together with God, but, but, but God's word gives us the outlining principles of what a New Testament church is to look like and what it is to have, where there is authority and accountability. I always get concerned when I hear somebody who says, I'm going to go off and I'm going to start a church. Who's your authority? Who's your accountability? Because God's word functions best and it, it functions in a biblical way when there is godly authority and accountability. When godly elders who in humility desire to shepherd and care for the soul's of the people that God has entrusted into them. You're going to hear more about that tonight. That's why you need to come. It's very encouraging. 
where there's preaching and teaching of God's word unapologetically, thus saith the Lord, where churches, where pastors, where teachers aren't, aren't going to back down from, from de- declaring the difficult and, and, and the painful passages from God's word, where there's a submission and obedience to God's word happening, where baptism and communion are taking place, where believers are discipled and, and even disciplined when necessary, towards godliness and holiness. All of this requires organization. It requires gathering. It's what the apostles, it's what the apostle Paul gave their lives for. To not go and build buildings all over over the world, but to build churches. And oh, how we have to get back to the place where the church is about God again. Where it's about God's glory. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about my wants and my needs. Where it's about the word of God. Where it's about his presence. It's where it's about his power. Because when it is done right, everything changes. And from how we walk in here on a Sunday to quite possibly the time we get here on a Sunday to where we even sit on a Sunday where we desire God's presence and to gather with God's people with an enthusiasm and with an angst and with a heart, prayer, desire that God is going to show up Sunday after Sunday when God's people gather. When small groups gather together in prayer and the word of God, that God will show up, his manifest presence will show up in our lives. And look at what God's word says. This is so good. We're putting it up on the screen. I, I hope you, you have this. You underline this verse, now, these verses in your Bible. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And so we love that verse because he's like, he wants to do more in and through us, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine abundantly. Oh, we love that word abundance. Oh, give me the abundance. And where is that? Where, did, where, where does that happen? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Where is God's glory found? Where is his power? Where is there measurably power? Where is there measurably amounts of power? It's in the church. It's in a New Testament church. It's in a biblical church. Not in the North American model that we so easily have adopted and that we've settled for. And then Jesus gives these incredible words in Matthew 16, 18. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. You want to see God work? You want to see God's glory? It'll happen in a God-honoring church by sinful yet progressing men and women, boys and girls, teenagers who are falling in love with Jesus and his word in a growing and in a deeper way, day after day, week after week, when we gather for the right reasons, with the right heart, with the right desire, we will see God on display. Where God becomes the main attraction, where he shows up and we're satisfied. Where the satisfaction is in how is the preacher today? How is the band today? How was my God today? How did he show up in my life? What did he have to say to me? Yet the enemy of our soul, Satan, as well as smart and trendy authors, teachers, bloggers, theologians, want everyone out of the church these days. They say it doesn't work. 
But God is saying, my glory, my power, my might, it's revealed within the church. And what does it say there in Ephesians? Throughout all generations. So it's not done. No matter what you've read on Facebook, on any of those articles that says the church needs to change in these areas. I, I, before Christmas, I saw, and some of you saw my little response that I made on a certain page, because they said, things that need to change in the church. They said, preaching. Well, the only problem with that is what God's word has to say about preaching. When God's word is proclaimed, we see it from Genesis 1. When God speaks, life happens. And even today, when God speaks through his word, life happens. Spiritual life, transformational life, eternal life takes place. It's through all generations. And in light of our meeting tonight at 6 p.m., where we desire, as I've already mentioned, to give you some important information and updates, I think you'll be really blessed and encouraged in, in many areas. But we'll also be very real about some of the challenges that we're facing, that we, we're facing these challenges, but we, we're going to then turn our face to God and say, God, would you show us the way? God, would you lead us as your people? And oh, would we be guarded and guided by the right thinking when it comes to the gathering of God's people, when it comes to the church and our involvement in it. You see, our theology and our practice must be guided by the word of God. If it's guided by our own thoughts or thinking or someone else's, we're in trouble. And so this morning, we're going to look at three passages, three uh, lengthy passages uh, of scripture that, and we're going to look at them today from the thousand foot level. Um, we're not going to work through them verse by verse. If we did, we could spend at least one Sunday on each one of these passages, but I encourage you to write down these passages that you'll see on the screen, write them down and then go home and you study it and, and you allow God to, to just, just show up and to teach you in greater ways even this week beyond our time here together because the Holy Spirit is a teacher and desires to teach his people who have open hearts to hear his word. And so we're going to look at these three passages this morning out of the dozens upon dozens that we could choose. And we're going to see three whys, three reasons why this, the gather time, why this, the church, is so important. And oh, would we see with fresh eyes and respond and hear it with fresh ears and hearts that are soft and ready to be molded by God's word today and, and be faithful to what his word has to say regarding his plan and his purpose and his priorities for the church. And so the first reason why this is important, because it's about the mission and the glory of God. In Matthew chapter 28, it's about the mission and the glory of God. Here at the end of Matthew, the last chapter, Jesus has died. He's rose again from the dead. And after 40 years, he's appeared to, to various people on different occasions and locations. But now he's with his disciples. He's with his disciples and he's giving them a farewell speech. He's giving them that farewell commission. And Jesus came and he said to them, starting in verse 18 of, of Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is one of the clearest passages that we have in the Bible as to what our life mission is to be about. 
which is to make disciples. And that's what I love about our church and, 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 and our purpose, our, our mission statement, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Doing that in the spirit of the Great Commandment, which is what? A love for God and a love for others. This is the Great Commission. This is what we're called to. You and I are sitting here today are a result of the fruit and the fruitfulness and the faithful servant of people who have been making disciples for decade upon decades. And given the age of some of you here, when you think when you were a child and you first heard the gospel, you heard that decades and decades ago by people who have been living for God decades and decades and decades before that. And we're all here as a result of the faithfulness of the apostles and the early church fathers and people like the Apostle Paul and many others throughout history who have preserved the word of God in a way so that we have his word and have modeled for us New Testament churches throughout history. And so you and I are sitting here today, if you are in Christ, you are sitting here as a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you were to summarize these verses in Matthew 28, I encourage you to write this down because this is a great thing to even remind us about, about that mission, about Matthew 28. It, it boils down to this, the lost saved, the saved matured, matured, multiplied, all to the glory of God. First of all, it says the lost saved. Jesus said, go, go into all the nations. We are to go wherever we are called to go. This means leaving our comfort zones. This means that we go and we tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. We are all called to be missionaries. Some just have the calling to go to other countries or to different regions, but we are all called, we are all commissioned to go. It's not about the location, it's about the lifestyle. It's about the message. We can go on mission trips like crazy, but why go on mission trips if we're not willing to walk across the street, walk across the room, walk across the office, walk across the classroom, walk across the hallway, and to talk to somebody about Christ? He's given us a mission field wherever we are. Last night, a friend sent me an article, and, and I just thought, man, this is just great timing. Plus, it's kind of funny, and it's obviously very true. He said, um, this is the author of this quote that he sent me, Christians can be like manure. Spread them out, and they make a profound difference. Keep them in a big pile, and they stink horribly. Isn't that so true? We are called to scatter, to get out there, to share the gospel. And if you are not a Christian today, if you have not made a decision to follow Christ, you need to know your number one purpose in life is not to make disciples, it's to become a disciple, to follow Jesus. Life will not make sense. It will be dead end after dead end, even though you hit victory after victory and things go the way you go, there's going to be this angst, there's going to be this knot, there's going to be this hole in your heart, in your life. It won't make sense until it's filled by Jesus Christ and his plan and his purpose and his Holy Spirit in you. Until you come to the place where you, and you must understand that, that, that you are a sinner as we all have sinned and fallen short. And that means that without Christ, you are dead. You are spiritually dead. And if you were to take your last breath today, you would not only be physically dead, you would be spiritually dead. And the result of what God's word has to say is that you will go to hell and that is forever. Don't go with... With, with, with the new wave of thinking that, well, it's not even a new wave, it's been going on forever, that, ah, uh, there's no such thing. You just, once you die, you become plant food, or plant fertilizer, whatever. No, life will just end, or you'll be reincarnated. That one's kind of died out over the last little while. But hell is forever. And it's a reality. And without Christ, 
You're separated from God because of your sin. You're living in disobedience in your wrongdoing. But Jesus made a way. That's why we went crazy at Christmas. Yeah, we went crazy on the materialistic side of it. But we went crazy in remembering, celebrating, and worshiping that Jesus Christ came as the ultimate gift. And he made a way by his death on the cross. And we're going to take time to remember that precious gift and what he did in, in a few moments. That he took our sin, your sin, my sin, upon himself. And in exchange for that, he gave us his righteousness, his purity, his forgiveness. God's grace and God's mercy made available to us as a free gift. And the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord, as Lord and Savior, will be saved. And if you have not received him today, oh, would this be the day of your salvation? Would this be the day where you turn, turn your heart over to him? You'd stop your running. You would stop your wrestling. You would turn to Jesus. Would today be that day of salvation? Jesus came on a mission to seek and save the lost and now he tells us as his followers, you do the same. That's your mission. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, your number one purpose in life is to make disciples. It's not, believe it or not, it's not to be the best at your job. Your number one goal and purpose in life isn't to be rich, to make a name for yourself, not to be able to get to a point in your life where you can control your comforts and your pursuits in the way that you want, your goal, my goal, my purpose, God's plan for you and for me is to make disciples. That we would make disciples of all nations. We start locally and we move out from there. And so this is our call. This is our number one call that God gives us to do. And we do that until we take our last and our final breath. We desire to see disciples made, to see the lost people saved. And then second of all, the saved people matured, baptizing them. That's a first step in this discipleship, obedience to God's word in the area of baptism. And what is baptism? It means literally to dunk underwater, to immerse underwater. And we see the New Testament pattern is that a person is immersed underwater Declaring their obedience to Christ in baptism, but declaring that they are dead to their old ways, dead to their sin, and made alive into Christ as they come up out of the water. And that always happens. Biblical baptism happens after a person is saved. And that is the first step of obedience. If you are a believer here today and you have not been baptized in a New Testament way, Encourage you to do so. That's the first step towards mature, maturing as a follower of Christ. It's a symbol, a symbol and a declaration of the interchange that has happened. It doesn't save us. It proves, it shows our love for God and our desire to be obedient. But baptism doesn't end discipleship. It is just the start of a lifelong process of obedience to God's word. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, you might want to write down this reference. Ephesians 4, 13, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. I don't think any of us are there yet. Biblical Christian maturity is a lifelong process, and we're not there. We're going to keep going. To all the knowledge of the Son of God? Oh, <laughs> That, that's just far, just more than we could grasp or imagine. And then it goes on to say, and the matured multiplied. This is an ongoing, lifelong process of learning, 
of personally growing, developing, and investing your life, your resources in the lives of others. God didn't save you just, to, just so that you could just end any sort of involvement in, in making disciples and just kind of turn all your resources and everything upon yourself. No, it is to multiply the disciples, to see this happen in multiplication uh, principles. I think of the countless numbers of people that God has used over the years to mature, at least to try to mature me. I'm sure I caused many of the men in our church to bald prematurely. I mean, I was a handful. I think of the Sunday school teachers, the youth group leaders, the elders, the pastors, the teachers, accountability partners, small group participants, people who have served lovingly, people who've administered in churches in various ways so, so a church and, 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 and uh, ministries could function and organize, people who cleaned up after me. I mean, I was a brat. I would sit on the balcony of our church. It was a great balcony. Me and my friends with little spitball little straws that we would have, firing those things. Who had to clean those up afterwards? Well, some of them, people had to clean them up right out of their nest. I mean, out of their hair and, you know, like, go for that one. I mean, what a pain. I remember this one Sunday school teacher by the name of Howard. He was the worst Sunday school teacher ever. He, he, he was trying to look after junior high boys. And, and, and he would sit there and he would read his, his, his lesson like this while all mayhem is happening. And he would read his lesson. And he didn't teach it very well. But you know, when I got married a number of years later, who was it that I invited to our wedding? Asked him to come from Regina to Saskatoon to be a part of our wedding, and he was there. It was Howard. Why? It wasn't because of his teaching. It was because he was willing to serve a bunch of rangy-tangy teenagers or preteens who turn out somehow by only the grace of God to become pastors and leaders within the church. Faithful servants used by God to multiply disciples, to help in the maturing process. And we've got a long ways to go, don't we, in that? Who are you building into? Who are you multiplying? One of the best ways that discipleship and this multiplying of disciples happens, happens right now in theaters on the other side of this one here with our Harvest Kids. As our kids are taught the Word of God, as they are loved, as they are being held, as they are being prayed over, as they are given a, a safe and a wonderful theater environment, uh, as good as that, and it gets pretty awesome, the, the way everything is set up and the way everything is run, I'm just amazed at how it works. <laughs> what a great thing. We should have workers lining up to help disciple our children. What a great privilege that is. Practical ways that we mature, the multi, we mature, the multiply, mature and multiply disciples. And why do we do this? All for the glory of God. Not for the glory of a pastor, a church, a denomination, or anything like that. All to the glory of God. What does Jesus say here at the very end of the Great Commission? He says, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, I am with you always. Think about that. God's work done in God's way will not lack God's power and his presence. 
When we are busy about the lost saved, the saved matured, the matured multiplied, all to the glory of God, his power, his presence is felt and realized in our lives in a way that nothing else, and there's no other promises that happen like this. That when we are getting on God's agenda, that we have his power and presence with us to the very end. And this glorifies God as we do this, as we submit to his authority, as we make disciples, as we get on his mission. We get to see and experience his power, his presence. The second reason why this matters and is a big deal is because it's about the wonder and privilege that we have. This is a great wonder and privilege. Do you ever think about that? Probably not. We don't think about this enough. Hebrews chapter 10, encourage you to have your Bibles open there. The theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. In chapter after chapter, it works this through that Jesus is better than the prophets, that Jesus is better than the angels, that Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is better than Joshua, than the priest, than the high priest. Jesus is better than the sacrifice. He's better than life itself because Jesus even said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus is better than. And so let's pick it up in chapter 10, verse 19. And it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, verse 25 is a key one in there, and yet the verses before that build up to it. And yet, verse 25 is oftentimes quoted, and you'll hear it in Harvest Essentials if you attend that in a number of weeks. And you'll hear that as an encouragement to get to church. Don't neglect the gathering. Don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You don't want to do that. We use it to confront the attitude of, ah, I don't want to go to church today. Ah, I want to go home. I want to stay in bed. I think of the wife that went into the bedroom one Sunday morning to wake up her husband. He says, I don't want to go, I don't want to go to church today. She said, no, come on, you got to get going. We got to go to church. You, you got to come and you got to, uh, we got to get moving, get out of bed. And he said, I don't want to go. And then he said, give me three good reasons why I should go to church. She said, well, number one, it's good for you. Second of all, it sets a good example for your kids. And number three, you're the pastor. Get up. And isn't that true? I mean, it can be true. This morning when my alarm went off and I'm like, oh, I would love to stay in bed. I would love to get a few more hours of sleep. And so oftentimes we adapt that kind of thinking and, 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 and we just can't pay attention to verse 25. We've got to look at the verses in front of that because they're awesome. The privilege and the wonder of the gathering. Now, when we get this, we don't want to miss. When we get this, we're, we're walking in and we're we're overdone with God's grace and his mercy that we get to do this, the privilege of gathering. Oh, I pray you would see this. I pray you would see this. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would see this. It would change us. It would transform us. The context which this is written is so much deeper than simply clinging to verse 25. 
You see, for centuries before this, God's people could only experience God's presence in a very limited way. Once a year, after many rituals and washings and sacrifices, one day a year on the Day of Atonement, one man, the high priest, could go behind the veil, could go into the holy, of, holy and, and experience the manifest presence of God. Once, one man, once a year, could this happen. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus changes everything. When he cried out from the cross, it is finished. And that veil in the temple tore in two. Access to God was made available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. Unhindered access we have. And that's the truth, that we have unlimited access to God through Jesus Christ. What a mind-blowing reality this should be for us, but so often it isn't. Oh, yeah, I'm going to church. Uh, for, for, for the Jewish people here, this was incredible. They had longed for this. They had waited for this, that now they can gather together as God's people and experience God's manifest presence together as the body of Christ. But sadly, this kind of news has just become same old, same old. We come straggling into church and kind of say, I hope I get something out of it today. Hope I don't get too much conviction, but just enough to keep me on the straight and narrow, you know? Hope they sing songs that I like or songs that I know. And rather than coming in and being excited that no matter what gets preached, if it's from the word of God, and if it's worship that is exalting Jesus Christ, that we have the wonder and the privilege of unhindered access. The only thing that affects our access to God is our sin. And as we confess and as if we have repenting hearts, his presence, his power is made available to us. And as we gather with other believers to worship and to call upon his name, to hear from his word, he manifests himself here with us, within the body of Christ. And he'll do this in ways that he won't do elsewhere. See, I've been at other places. I've been at other programs. I've been at parachurch. I've been all these different things. Yes, yes, yes. But there is a blessing. And there is God's manifest presence that is promised for the church. It is promised no other place. For the Jewish audience, this, this was a mind-blowing reality for them. That they could enter the presence of God in this way. They didn't need a high priest they didn't need the sacrifices. They didn't need the washing rituals. But they would, could come with worshiping and expectant hearts. However, it was a difficult thing for them. It was a difficult thing for them because many of them were facing persecution because turning away from Judaism, turning away from the sacrifices, turning away from the old way meant and turning towards Jesus and no longer worshiping on the Saturday, but now... As the shift started to happen to worshiping together on the Sunday and following after Jesus meant persecution, being disowned by family and friends, homes and businesses being burned or destroyed or put into bankruptcy. And so there was great temptation to shrink back, great temptation to stop doing what they were doing, to go back to what they were doing before. 
And that's why the the writer of Hebrews, he says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us stir one another up. Encourage you to underline those three let us in those verses there. They're powerful. Let us draw near to the truth of the gospel. Let's remember what Christ has done for us. Oh, folks, when, when we come into church and we gather together and we make it about God again, and it's not about me and my needs, but what He has done, and we worship Him and we serve Him out of a heart of gratitude and praise, His manifest presence is revealed. And so He says, Let us draw near to the truth of the gospel, let us hold fast saying to the word of God, let us stir up one another. That word stir means agitate, means provoke one another. That can be done in a loving way and it can also be done in an agitating way. We often don't like to be agitated and reminded and, 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 and pressured into things. but We are to provoke and encourage and challenge one another towards love and towards good deeds, not neglecting meeting together. Not neglecting the privilege that we have as the body of Christ. We might not be facing persecution like they did yet. But we face distraction, consumerism, sports and leisure and laziness, misguided theology and practice. And yet God's word when we take it seriously and we don't neglect the gathering, we don't neglect the understanding of the privilege that we have, the wonder of being able to come into the presence of God unhindered. And this can happen on a Sunday morning. It can happen as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. It can happen in your house, in your living room. It can happen wherever you go, but that there is something special when God's people gather. We'll see that in a moment. When it comes to the gatherings in this way, it's a mind-blowing privilege. Oh, would we see the depth the beauty, and we're also going to see the declaration that it makes when we do gather. You see, we're not coming just to get our batteries charged, to be informed, to be challenged, but our gathering is so much more than that. The third thing here is the message of the church. The third reason why this matters is because of the message and the mystery of the church. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and starting at verse 7, it says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. And listen to this key verse in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose of God. Purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through, through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here Paul, at the end of his life, he is still in awe of the gospel. 
He is still fired up about sharing the gospel. He is still blown away that someone as undeserving as him, someone who is a Christian killer who is persecuting the church, could be saved, could be forgiven. And now this same God who saved him, who forgave him, is now using him to declare the gospel to even the Gentiles. See, the church is so much more than just us showing up on a Sunday. He goes on to tell us it's a great mystery. Look at verse 10 again. It says, so that through the church, the manifold, and that word manifold means the depth, the layered, the beautiful. Put that picture up with a kaleidoscope. Remember those things when, you, when you're a kid, you have those things, you stick your eye in there and then you turn one of those things and it just turns to all those different colors. This is, that word manifold is like, it's just depth and layer and beauty so that through the church, the manifold depth and layered and beauty of the wisdom of God might be made known. To who? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This is so much more than a physical gathering at a movie theater on a Sunday morning. This is a declaration in the spiritual realms to angels, but also to demons of God's miraculous power and grace. Think about this. Before the creation of the world, before there was one second of time and space here that we could ever think of or imagine, God planned to save Jews and Gentiles, the most unlikely of people, and bring them together of their own free choice, united in the gospel, in the church, gathering together under the teaching, under the worship of the word of God, and to exalt his son. Just think about that. He would take sinners like you and me, and think of all the different backgrounds. Think of all the different experiences that we've had. I mean, we're a mixed, mashed group of people here. I love it. And we're coming together, we're gathering together to encourage, to bless, to serve one another, to worship God, but to make a declaration that I love Jesus. That Jesus has saved me. That this was part of his plan since before the creation of the world. We get to be big players in his eternal plan in the spiritual realm. This is a big deal. I mean, can you not get fired up about that? Really? No amens? Amen. Oh. I know we're Canadian and we're just polite and, you know, we're... But every once in a while, you just feel free to fire away. See, there's a depth and there's a beauty here that goes beyond a trailer pulling up here at 7 a.m. And knowing that our God would save the most unlikely of people. And, God, and, and, and folks, our, our job isn't finished. Our job is just barely begun to see the lost saved. This week, I was sent a text message and when I got it, I literally, I did, I just started to cry. I saw an obituary in Castanet of a 24-year-old boy, a pastor's son, who was one of the recent victims right before Christmas of the overdose crisis in our city. He came in here a number of times last winter. He sat right over in there. 
And I love the way our people loved on him and offered him food before the service. And I went and talked to him one Sunday and he just said, just leave me alone, I want to sleep. I'm like, sure, just go ahead and sleep. That's okay. We're in crisis. People are dying all around us. And we have the message. And we have the privilege of the mystery of the gospel of all that he has done. And our gathering together is a big deal. Our serving the Lord and rolling up our sleeves before service, after the service, in the middle of the week. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a declaration of the spiritual realms to what Christ has done. He has saved me and now I want to live for him and I'm going to worship him even if it sounds awful when I sing. The one thing I make sure is I turn off my mic during worship because otherwise the worship people hear me and it's just not a good thing. Oh, but we declare his praises, his glories. Let's pray. God, it's just a simple fact. Your word just lays it out here. That it's, it's our gather time, our involvement in the church, the biblical reason we're doing this. It's because about the mission and the glory of God. It's about your glory, not ours. It's about the wonder and the privilege that we get to experience personally in our lives and then corporately together as the body of Christ. And it's about the message that you would save someone like me. And the mystery as this gets declared even into the spiritual realms. Oh God, help us to live out for your priorities. Just with our heads bowed as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, it's my prayer that for each one of us that our hearts would be attached to God's purposes for our lives in this church. Together we are the church. But I wonder where your priorities, where's, where, where do your priorities and your thinking needs to change in light of God's word, not in light of an emotional response or guilt. That guilt and emotion get short-term results and it's, it's not of God. He's gracious, he is loving, he does not guilt us. But I wonder where in light of God's word and what we've heard here today in response to it, where do we need to get on God's plans and God's purposes? Not my agenda or my thoughts or my wants. What areas need to change? But then, who also needs to know about this unlimited grace? Who do we need to go and we need to scatter ourselves amongst this week and share the good news of Jesus Christ? Oh, may God secure the why and the how of this in just an incredible ways here for us to harvest clone into 2019. And it's all because of his grace and his mercy his forgiveness, the eternal life that is available because of his love, because of his sacrifice on the cross. We're going to take time now to worship the Lord, to worship and to thank our God for sending his son to this earth. Encourage you to spend time examining your life in light of what we've heard today, that we would respond to the Lord's Supper with clean hands and a pure heart, repenting of any area of sin, praying ask the Holy Spirit to expose those areas of sin and make it right. If it's something that requires going to someone else, I pray that you would do that. And oh, that we would worship him today in spirit and truth. Today, if you commit your life to Jesus Christ, this table is for you. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, we just ask that you would abstain from it. But that we would prepare ourselves in a way that we can receive not just the bread and the cup, but we would receive his power and his presence, his blessing in a new way. Oh God, would you just bestow upon us as we worship you, as we pray to you, as we call out to you now, 
You do a work in the lives of each one of us in a mighty way, your manifest presence, coming here for the right reasons, coming here because it's all because of you. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, afterwards, he took the cup. After supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, God, we come to you in worship. We come to you in thanksgiving. We come to you knowing we're part of something huge. And would you be pleased with our worship to you here, our heart response today and into this new year, we pray in Jesus' name.